0: Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today, you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. If you really, genuinely love someone, it means that you need to be willing to say no. Um, We think of this with raising our children, right? If you have not had your own children yet, you were raised as a child. And one of the marks of parents who love their children is that they will tell their children no. No, that is unacceptable. No, you can't have that, right? No, you can't do this. Uh, And and just let me say, on a side note here, parenting, one of the things that we... This is based on a lot of years of not always getting it right, okay? Experience that we do need to learn to figure out how to say yes as much as we can, okay? But we need to be willing to tell our children no. Well, it's that way in society too. We need to be willing to say no, that certain things are not acceptable, right? This is unacceptable. And it needs to be said in love. We're told that we are to speak the truth and when we speak the truth, how do we speak the truth? In love, that's right. It needs to be said lovingly and caringly. And it's not because I don't want you to do something. It's because it's really not good for you and it's not good for society. And so we need to be willing to say no in a sense. Okay, uh, And really, this, this idea comes down. We've been talking about sin um, the last last three weeks here, we're going to continue this, although we're getting into more of an application of some truths about this. Uh, but in our own lives, we need to say no to sin, don't we? It's not good for us. And it, it offends God in this sense. It's just like if you, if you gave somebody everything that they needed and then you told them how to, to function there in the way that was absolutely the best for you and they said, ah, fine, I'm going to do my own thing. How would you feel? Well, see, that's what we do to God when we say no to him. And we we don't say it shouldn't be saying no to God, right? But we choose to sin, we're going our own way. He's already told us the absolute best way to live and we go do our own thing because we don't care what you think. We think we know better. I mean, you start to see why God hates sin. Not because it's about him, but because it's just devastating to human beings. I mean, there are people who are going to be in hell for all eternity because of sin. And the Son of God went to the cross because of sin. All that Christ endured through the earthly physical torment that went with that, and then the torment of, of taking the guilt and the burden and the pain of the shame of all of our sins, all of them, on Himself, Dying, paying that penalty for us. Uh, how costly was that to him? How costly was that to the Father? Yeah, do you understand why God has a hatred of sin? Now, thankfully, God accepted that payment in full, right, for all of our sins. Jesus rises from the dead, victorious over sin and death. And we can receive Christ as Savior. We can have our sins forgiven forever. We can, you know, pray, put our faith in Jesus and what He did for us on the cross to be forgiven. And how, when, when we receive Christ as Savior, how many of our sins are forgiven? All? As in A-L-L, all? You mean all the ones we committed before? What about the sins I commit today? Did he die for those? What about the sins I'm going to commit during the rest of my life? Did he die for those? Did he? Yes. yes, all means all. What a blessed thing that is, right? And so if you haven't received Christ as savior, if you've never really settled that issue, those of you watching or listening, those of you who are here, I encourage you to say, "Oh God, I see it. I am a sinner. I've separated from you." I I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose again. And right now, with as much faith as I know how to have, I receive Jesus as Savior. I believe that, I trust him. And you do that any moment, do it right now, in your own heart. So that is good news. But when we have to be careful because I think sometimes as Christians, you know, when we understand these things, our sins are forgiven and they are forgiven forever, right? And, and the Lord has moved in, and heaven is my destiny, and all these kinds of things, that if we aren't careful, we start to take sin lightly. Because, hey, I'm forgiven. Now, I don't think that usually, if someone who's a genuine Christian, someone who's genuinely, sincerely received Christ as Savior, has that attitude of, hey, I can sin now. No, that, that means they didn't understand. okay. But I still think that there is a sense in which when we find ourselves tempted, we looked at that progression, how that happens, how we're drawn away by our desires and we're enticed. At that moment, living, you know, we think we're forgiven, we're forgiven, we're forgiven and we are, but somehow or other that lets us cross the line. And it shouldn't. We should hate sin. Because, let's look at a quick review about some things about sin. We should hate sin because it is deceitful and damaging, right? It's a lie. When God says this is the best way and you choose any other way because you think somebody's going to worry, it's a lie. It's not God's way is the best way. How often? All the time. Every time. God's ways are the best way. And don't fool yourself. Don't let sin deceive you. Don't buy into the lie because it deceives you. You commit the sin, and then it does damage whether you see it or not. It does damage, and eventually it damages other people too because either your sin has a direct impact on other people or your sin has sort of a latent impact in this sense that maybe nobody else knows about it. But it affects you. And guess what? When it affects you, that affects your relationship with everybody else, doesn't it? At some level. You aren't really where you ought to be in those relationships with other people. So don't buy into it, okay? Sin is deceitful and damage. Now, second thing we want to understand is if you find yourself struggling with sin, maybe a particular kind of sin, that your struggles with sin do not define your identity. As a Christian, how forgiven are you? Is that the right way to ask that question? Completely forgiven. That's right. And you have a new nature inside. True? Remember deep down in your spirit, uh, you are born again. Uh, God takes that old dead spirit that's, that's bent towards sin, and, and he moves in, his spirit moves in, and now you're alive with a new nature at the core of your being. And now, we still have struggles because we still live in a sin-cursed world. Our minds have been affected by sin, our emotions, our memories, our, our decision-making, our bodies, everything. So we're still dealing with sin, but we're dealing with it from a different place. We're dealing with it from a place that is not sinful anymore. And we can begin to grow and understand that and make different choices, right? We are... Free to choose differently after Jesus moves in. So remember that. Don't, don't believe a lie that you aren't. Because what this world wants you to do is to say, hey, you have that, and they probably wouldn't even call it sin because they aren't going to say no. The world doesn't, by the way, the world doesn't love you enough to say no to you. Okay? God loves you enough to say no to you. But the idea is the world's going to say to you, well, yeah, okay, we see that, but that's just the way you are that is your identity and so the world will encourage you to begin to buy in that so here you are as a christian and, and this is happens to us here we are as christians and and maybe because whatever reason in our life i mean sin sin was so damaging to humanity it's so damaging it's been so damaging to us bigger than we realize but anyway so here we are and so now we're recovering from sin we're trying to learn not to sin to live differently, but, but we're struggling. For whatever reason, and maybe we're struggling bad with some area of our life, and, and uh, the world is going to just tell you, you know what, that's who you are. That's just who you are. And we hear that message from the world, and, and Christians sometimes buy into that. But it's not true. It is not who you are. It is what you're struggling with. And I would say to you, the fact if you are struggling with sin, that that is a good sign. That means that you recognize this isn't right and doesn't belong in your life. Okay, and so you're struggling with that. Do not buy into the lie. It is not your identity. And then such good news: God has and will forgive us when we sin. Anybody besides me happy for that? Like just about every day. Okay, that's right. He forgives us, and he does more. He cleans us up. He, Gets us back on the road, going in the right direction. That's assuming we acknowledge it, right? If we do what? We confess our sins, which means we agree with God about them. We're saying the same thing about our sins as God did. Okay, when we're there, then he can work in our lives. And then lastly, we saw this, that you need to take your sin very seriously because it really matters. It really, really does. And I've already kind of commented on that here today. Don't just take it lightly. It's an important thing. Now, so what I want to show you today is, is some, uh, how this works out, uh, how God has applied this, and this idea of saying no because you love. Uh, what did Jesus say about the, the, his people? He says, how will the, I'll, I'll ask the question, how will the world know that we're following Jesus? Come on, somebody knows the answer to that by our love, that we love each other, okay? They will know we're his followers. And a little bit later, he says this, that the world will know that the Father actually sent him, that he's really true. He is who he said he was. If we have a oneness with us, okay, this love and this oneness is so crucial to us being able to carry out the mission that God has given us. Um, So um, we... Need to love then enough, love each other enough to say what we need to be able to say no to one another. Okay, and God has given us a way to do this. Certainly, we can always do that in a one-on-one relationship with somebody and say, "Hey, you know, I don't think this this what you're doing is it's bad for you. It's it's, a, it's not right. It's sin. It's and it's gonna take you places you didn't. And we have we all love enough to say those things to each other. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Let's go to Matthew chapter 18 and see how God has set this up for us. Page 1133 in the Bibles that are under the chairs there, and if you don't have your own Bible with you or if you don't have it on your phone, I encourage you um, pick up one of those Bibles and follow along. Page 1133. So, the first part of this chapter, chapter 18, uh, Jesus talks about a child, you know, someone with childlike faith being the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and how seriously we ought to take, you know, caring for those who are the least strong among us, the weakest among us. Uh, And then he goes on and he starts talking about the problem of sin. And it's interesting to me because I think what, I'm trying to figure out, you know, why is this in this order here? Oh, by the way, he talks about also the lost sheep, how much. God cares about those who are lost, but then he goes on. Now he talks about what about when a Christian sins against another Christian. Okay, so let's let's read here, starting in verse fifteen. He says, "Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother." But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector, a heathen with the unsaved. Okay? It's really a word that's often translated Gentile, but it means people outside of the faith. Cheat them like they're unsaved or a tax collector, like they've walked away from their people. I'll talk more about that. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, I want you to understand, you cannot take this verse and pluck it out and use it for whatever you want. It's in this context and understand that we're going we're to elaborate on this, but the idea is if the church reaches a point in saying no, where they have to then say put someone outside of the church membership, has to put them out, he is saying, you have the authority of heaven to do that. The church has that authority. It isn't Walt that has that authority, and it isn't you that has that authority, but it's us as the church that God gives the authority to do that. Okay? Verse 19 Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And again, remember, understand this is not just a takeaway verse and use it wherever you want. It's in this context. Okay? So if, if we're coming together, even if it's a small church, a tiny church, and they come together, even if it's just two or three going for God, say, God, here. God says, I'm going to answer that. I'm going to deal with this issue. And then verse 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Wow, we've heard that verse before, haven't we? Used it many times, talk about it. And I would just say to you that, that I think the limitation on this is that when we are gathered together in his name to do his, his will and his work, he is Present. And so this tells us that even this whole process to that that could ultimately lead to someone being put out of the church, he is present in that with us. Okay? So it isn't just us doing these things, it's the Lord doing these things in us and through us. Alright? So let's let's kind of work our way back through and, and talk about this and what it means. He says, if Verse fifty. more, if your brother sins against you, if your sister sins against you. He's talking about spiritual brother, spiritual sister. Could be your real brother and sister. Uh, Could be both. The first thing I want you to understand as we look at this process, we're talking about serious sin. Serious sin. Now, I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but let me just go over it again. We often think, well, sin is sin is Sin. And there's a time and way that that's true. Doesn't matter if it's big sin, little sins, whatever. Before God, there are no big sins or little sins. But that was the key word, before God. With respect to being holy before God or being acceptable before God, sin is sin is sin. Okay, no such thing as small and big. However, with the impact of sin in life, how it affects us and how it affects the people around us, how it affects the church, how it affects the testimony, there are differences between sins, aren't there? There are significant differences between sins. So if, if I you know, have been convicted you know, about eating, and I know I should, I should bring that under control, and I need to do it, but then sometime I just, oh, I don't care, I'm gonna do it anyway, and I eat, and I've, I've disobeyed what God has been showing me I'm supposed to be doing, that's a sin. Okay, that's between me and him. Uh, Ultimately, eventually, that could affect others, but most likely, that's a fairly small sin. But if I decide, I get upset with my neighbor, and so when I see him out, I run over him with my car. Now, that's silly, right? But do you understand? Is that, that's a big thing, isn't it? The ramifications of that are huge. Okay, so put whatever sin in there you want. Um, and I think that one of the ways that we um, well, hang on, let me do it. let me go with this first. So the point is this: This is not where someone has slighted you, right? It's not where it's just a personal affront that someone has done to you. It's not just a kind of, "Hey, this is life" kind of a deal, where we have this Have you ever noticed that being a people and living with other people is difficult? I mean, lots of times it's great and easy, but sometimes it's hard, isn't it? just is. I mean, so we're not talking about that kind of stuff. Although sometimes people get really bent out of shape about that. But he's, he's not talking about that kind of stuff. Let me tell you the kind of stuff he's talking about. If we, if we continue with this process, we're going to see that it's going to go to the whole church, right? And if the whole church, uh, you know, they don't listen there, they get put out of the church. But the idea is this. It needs to be something that if it finally gets brought to the whole church, that the majority, significant majority of the church are saying, wow, that is not Christian that cannot be, that's not acceptable, because not only is that doing damage here in the small, or doing it's gonna damage the church, and it's going to bring the reputation of the church down. The reputation of Christ and the gospel if we allow this. And next Sunday, by the way, this is part the first part of one sermon. Okay, and next Sunday we'll see that a little more clearly. But the idea is is it needs to be at that kind of level. And it needs to be something where somebody is just absolutely unrepentant. I don't care. I'm going to live this way. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. If you don't like it, that's, these are the kinds of things that we are talking about. With everything else in our lives, this is where we need to be living. First uh, Peter chapter 4 says, And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will do what? Cover a multitude of sins and it's not like oh hide them no it's just okay we just I love you you know uh, I'm trying to think here how to I mean if my wife is an expert in this I think all right over the years right and she has loved me and lived with me <laughs> and um, we see a little more clarity about this in Colossians chapter three when it says that it talks about tender mercies. These things should be part of our lives. Tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another. Can I paraphrase that for you? Putting up with each other. There are times when we just gotta put up. Does anybody ever act a certain way that you think that's not the way to acting? it just grinds on you? But you look at it and you think, well, you know what? That's that's just where they are right now, and maybe I can help. But the point is, it's not a sin that we would be going to Matthew 18 to figure out how to deal with it. It's something that we've got to just live with, put up with it, because we love them. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. This should be our disposition to start with. Forgiving. As, as Christ forgave you. Put on love. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let's talk about in our relationships. By the way, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. Um, there in Matthew 18, we didn't read the next verse, but in that next verse, Peter says, "Oh well, uh, Lord, um, how many times do I got to forgive? Seven times? And the Lord says, mm, I don't think so. Let's try 70 times seven. And those numbers, so he's talking about All of them. (laughs) And so that's where we need to be. This should be our basic connection. So this, what we're talking about today, we're talking about sin that, saying no to sin. It may, there may be sin sometimes that we need to say no to each other. But it does not rise to the level of what we're talking about in Matthew 18. Okay? So nobody should, nobody should ever think, oh man, I'm mad at you. I'm going to get you. I'm going to go get some other people. Right. I mean, don't don't do that. Um, all right. So it is serious sin. Uh, you know, if a man leaves his wife and moves in with another woman who's a member of the church, that is unacceptable sin. If someone we find out is somehow rather embezzling money and they're not just from the church, but someplace. Right. And that's what they're doing. That is unacceptable sin. If uh, someone is in the community doing something in such a way that's giving a terrible testimony for Christ, that might be something that would fit under this, okay? Um, But it's it's, it's intended to deal with serious sin. Okay, second thing we see here is to be dealt with as privately as possible. This is important. Let me tell you what the natural tendency is for, for many of us, and that is that when someone does us wrong and we are cranked about it, we go find... Half a dozen other people who we know will agree with us about it. And we go talk to them about it. By the way, that's sin. That's gossip. That's tail bearing. That's, that's, that's doing damage. Because what it means is I'm going and I'm talking about you in a, in a way that puts that other person in a bind you know, towards you. And Don't do that. See, right here we, we see the principle. If, if you have a problem with someone, who do you go to? them, and only them. In our church membership course, one of the things that we go over, we talk about if you have, uh, uh, how do I say it? I I say here at LifeSource, we, um, how do I say it? It was right there in the front of my mind a moment ago. Oh yes, we don't talk about people, we talk to people. Okay? If we have an issue with anybody about anything, we don't talk about it to other people, we talk to the person. Okay, now, If we're at this level of significant sin, you know, you you go to the person and there is no resolution. They don't hear you. They say, forget you. I'm going to do what I want to do. And it's serious. It really matters. Well, then you go and get one or two other people. These should be mature Christians. Could be a pastor. Doesn't have to be a pastor. But where you go and now sit down with them and talk. And let's go through this. And this this one or two people that you take with you, they listen to the whole thing. They observe what's going on. They can, uh, you know, they might tell you, you know what, I think you're making more of this than you should. I think you just need to forgive them and move on. Or they may say, no, you're right. This is a big deal. And if this person says won't listen to them, then we go to the whole church, okay? And, and this is where we tell the church, now let me tell you, uh, the logistics of all this stuff that we're talking about gets harder the, the, the bigger a church gets. It just gets more difficult to, to handle these things. It doesn't mean we shouldn't do them. We should, and we try. And we just need God's wisdom because once again, how you do it and society watching, you just want to be wise, very wise in, in how we do what God has told us to do. But we must do it. And when we have done this, the few times when we've had to do this, we, we don't do it on Sunday morning and all, and all over the Internet and say, hey, oh, you know, Joe did such and such, and, and is isn't like that at all. We have a church family meeting. We call a meeting, and then the, everybody who's part of the church comes together, and then we brokenheartedly share, here's where this person's at. Here's what's going on. We've, this person, we've reached out to him. We've reached out to him again. And by the way, these don't have to be just one-time things. This, this is a process. We've worked through and we've realized at this point, this person is just not repentant. This person's seeming to purpose to continue to sin. So we bring in the whole church family and we say, listen, would you guys reach out to him as well or to her? Would you guys reach out? Do you have any kind of relationship with this person? I'll reach out and say, hey, we love you. We really want to help you. We want to see you change, you know, come back. And so we do that with the church. And then if after time it becomes evident this person is unrepentant, not going to live like a Christian, right? But you see, do we start with the church family meeting? No. We start one-on-one and try to address it there. If we need to bring anybody else in, we do that. And we try to address it there. And we spend time with this. It doesn't have to be one meeting. We spend time trying to work through this. And it only comes to the whole church when there's no other recourse. Because the person isn't changing. Because, see, what what I want you to see is that God loves us enough to say no to us. And he's told us that we as a church need to love each other enough to say what? No to each other. That this is unacceptable. Okay? Uh, So as privately as possible... And then the third thing is that the goal is restoration at every point, right? Go and talk to your brother, go and talk to your sister. And if, if you get this worked out, then great, You're, you, the relationship is restored. And, and the same thing, you know, if, if, you, if that doesn't work and you go with one or two others and, 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 it, and they listen and they turn back to the Lord and repent, praise the Lord. Does it have to go anywhere else? No. Many, many years ago, and by the way, this is, I think this is a misconception and, and it's one that I, an understanding that I have definitely grown in. But uh, I remember many, many years ago, someone in the church had been involved in bad sin. I mean, we would say it fits this category for sure. And um, it was known by a few people. And they dealt with what this person had gloriously repented, humbled themselves, turned back to the Lord, you know, was grieved over what they'd done, want to do what's right And I got pressure from some people saying, the church needs to know about this. And I struggled with that. I mean, they were, these were people I respected who were saying this, and I called a a focus on the family. We have a hotline for pastors and talked to them. And they said, well, yeah, maybe you should, you know. And I, I decided to take the day, I took the day off from my normal duties and I, I spent it we have a missions apartment here I went in there by myself just to be with the Lord and say Lord what are we supposed to do here and it finally it just hit me I and mean, it's like duh but what does the Bible say this person has responded we, we deal with this as privately as possible don't we and the goal is restoration restoration has occurred there is no need to deal with this further Right. I mean, does that make sense? Uh, anyway, so the goal is, at every step of the way is restoration to bring the person back. Now, uh, we see in uh, the Corinthian church that they had had to do this with someone, had to put someone out of the church. And then this person apparently did repent and came broken before God and, and, and changed around. And so this is what Paul says to them. He says this, that the punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man, so that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. And so that is at any point, any point in this process. This includes even if somebody has been put out of the church. If someone's been put out of the church and then they, they repent and turn back to the Lord, okay? This is the attitude that we need to have with them. So, serious sin, as privately as possible. The goal is restoration. And then finally, it's motivated by love. Actually, before we talk about motivated by love, let me, um, um, what if someone rejects this restoration? You know, the person who is sinning and they say, I'm not interested. I'm going my own way. I'm doing my own thing. You guys take a leap, you know. Um, what happens then? Well, Jesus says it here. What's he say? Let them be to you like a heathen or unsafe person. And as someone who's turning their back on you, <laughs> a tax collector in this day, I mean, none of us like tax collectors, right? Because of their office, but... Um, a tax collector would have been most likely a Jewish person uh, who Rome had come in and said, we're going to collect this much taxes and and, uh, this Jewish person maybe would enter into a contract with Rome to provide, to, to collect those taxes for Rome. And they got to add their own fees on top of that. And they could kind of set their own fees and it could be pretty exorbitant. And so how do you think the Jewish people felt about tax collectors? Um, let's tell you a little funny story the um, pastor of the church I got saved in he was a great preacher man he preached strong and, um, but he had grown up in a home with uh, German immigrant parents and so sometimes his, he would get his language mixed up a little bit and one day he was by the way anybody remember the King James word for a tax collector? publican it's called a publican And one day he was preaching along, and man, he was talking about those Republicans. And anyway, the point is a tax collector was someone who had turned their back on their people and walked away, in essence, and was adding to the problem, not helping to solve the problem. And so he says, you need to treat these people like that. Well, if you want to become a member of this church, you know what the very first prerequisite it is? You must be saved. You must have received Christ as Savior. There are other prerequisites, but that is the first and foremost one. If you have not received Christ as Savior, you cannot become a member. You're welcome to attend, you know, but you cannot become a member of the church because you have to be saved to be a member. And what Jesus is saying here is that if this person has gone through this process and they are unrepentant, he says, they are not living like Christians. They're not living like they're saved people. He says, so treat them as though they are unsaved people. Now, are they unsaved? We don't know the heart, do we? He isn't telling us they are unsaved. But he's saying if if, a person in the church is choosing to live like an unsaved person, in these ways we've been talking about, then you need to treat them like an unsaved person. Well, unsaved person can't be a member of the church, so what do we have to do? Take them and put them outside of the church. And it's, it's, it's a little bigger than that, again, because it's also it's like they have turned and walked away. And so that's the way we are to treat them. I'll talk a little more about that before we're done here today. By the way, does that seem harsh in our world? Do you think that sounds harsh in our world, to put someone outside of the church because of how they're living? I think our world would go, that's nuts. Um, but think about it. It's not harsh. Um, First of all, our motivation is what? Should be what? Love. We love you enough to say no. Um, <clears throat> but think about it in our culture. Impeachment. And I forget about all the political stuff around that in our recent history. Just impeachment in general. The idea is if someone is not living in a way, acting in a way, serving in a way that is appropriate to that office then there's a process involved to do what? Say you can't hold that office. All right? So that's just a part of our culture. Same thing, you know, if someone commits a felony, depending on what state you live in, you can lose your right to vote permanently or temporarily. You can lose the right to own a gun. You can lose the right to travel abroad. You can lose all these kinds of things until in many, most states, you can actually go through a parole time and, and get that back, but the point is you aren't living like a good citizen. You're not living the way a citizen should. You're committing felonies. Therefore, you don't receive the benefits of citizenship. You see, so this is not a strange concept. It's really logical. It makes sense. And so because we love someone enough to say no to them, that we may need to put them out. And Let me say to you that they typically, in our society, by the time we reach this point, this person has already disappeared from us and could care less what we think. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. Because if we lovingly communicate, you know, we're putting you out of the church because of this. And if you will turn back to the Lord, we will welcome you back. But until you do, you're out. If we do that, if nothing else, when that person lays their head down at night, God can bring to mind, you know, there are a group of people who say they love me, who say this isn't right. And night after night, they may go to bed and say, I don't care. But do you understand what I'm saying? We have been faithful. (laughs) We have been faithful to um, love them the way we're supposed to do it. And this is what the fourth thing is, motivated by love. Because remember, we talked about this recently. What is love? Love is a conscious choice to do what's in the best interest of the person loved. Go ahead and go to that if you would. Okay? Love is a conscious choice to do what's in the best interest of the person loved. And when a person is living in sin like this, it is not in their best interest. Remember, it's deceitful, it's damaging. It's not in the best interest of the church either. Okay? Paul talks about that, and we'll see that next week. Uh, It's not in the best interest of the church, and it's not in the best interest of the community, unsaved world around the church, because the testimony of the church gets hurt, doesn't it? So... Yeah, so I already kind of said that. All right, so let's go to the next one. Love should motivate us then to confront the person in hopes of helping him or her turn back to the Lord. Okay, that's if we love people, that's what we should be doing. All right, so serious sin, Matthew 18, should be serious sin, it should be done as privately as possible. uh, it is, uh, the goal is always restoration. Remember, it is to be motivated by love. Well, so how do we actually treat someone then who has been put out of the church? How do we treat them? Well, uh, Paul talks about this in Galatians. It, not, not direct about out of the church, but it fits. He says, brethren, if a man is overtaken and any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So there's this humble, continuing you know, if you know the person that you, you want to help, I'm ready to help you. Turn back to the Lord. Okay. This is not what we would, what you hear in other religious groups of this idea of shunning. Right. Where you <laughs> you, you know, I can't, They doesn't like that. Okay. Now they are out of the church and there are ramifications. And again, next week, we'll see that a little more. Uh, But then uh, in his letter to the Thessalonians, Paul says this, and if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother, okay? This is just his attitude toward people um, that they're not our enemies. They're actually people that we love who are in a really bad place. And so we need to be ready to help, okay? That is the attitude of our hearts. Now, some of you might be saying here today, wow, if that's the case, if that could happen to me, I could get put out of the church if I live that way, maybe it's better not to join the church. Well, let me say this to you, and I say this in our church membership course, that one of the many privileges of church membership is being loved enough to be confronted. That's really one of the benefits, you know? And, and you say, I don't know about that, but the idea is that I hope, and I'm the pastor, and that just complicates issues lots of times, but let's, I just hope that if I go off the rails and into sin in a way that is serious enough that needs to be dealt with, I hope that you'll do that for me. I will hope that you will tell me the truth. It's a good thing. Is it good for a child to have a parent who will say no? Absolutely. And we need a church that will say no to us. And you understand that this is rare, this whole. The first part of this process isn't rare. Go to the person, maybe even the second part. Getting to the church and putting someone out of the church is rare. But it tells us and reminds us how important sin is, how bad sin is, that we need to deal with it. So two thoughts to take with you today. First one is this, love others enough to choose not to sin. Your sin is going to affect other people. Love other people. Next time you find yourself being tempted, don't just think about yourself and what this means to you. Think about, wait, what is my sinning going to mean to other people? And love them enough to say, I'm not going to do it. Oh, God, help me, right? I'm not going to do this. And then secondly, love others enough to confront them about sin. And I'm really talking about us as a church here. Could be you individually too, with someone that you know. If you do confront someone about sin, you're going to do it in love. You're going to speak the truth in love. But we probably need to do this a little more with each other. And, and like I said, this isn't a, a prophet you know, meeting us, ah, finger in their face. No, but it's, it's a I care about you and I'm concerned about you and this doesn't doesn't bode well for you. So love others enough to choose not to sin, love others enough to confront them about sin. Well, are there any examples in the Bible of this kind of thing that we're talking about? Well, there is. And that's what we'll pick up on next week, okay? The same sermon is just over two weeks. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, this is a hard thing, and, and if, even if we have to do it, Lord, from time to time, it is difficult. It goes against what we feel like doing, Lord. But I pray that, first I thank you that you love us enough to tell us no. And I pray, Father, that we will be filled with your love and will love others in the same way so that we're willing, if need be, to say no to one another. We want to glorify you, and we want, you, we want to live like people who have a great testimony for you so that you can use us to reach many. I praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as always, let me say to you that if you have questions about this, because I know lots of times these sermons raise questions, don't answer them all, you know, please feel free. I, I'd love to talk to you about that. Ask me, and uh, we'll figure it out, okay? All right, uh, yes, hang on. No, I didn't. I don't know how I left that off the list. I'm sorry. Dean Cudworth had a heart attack earlier this week. Uh, they said it was a moderate heart attack, uh, which is good. They ended up going in and doing one bypass. And they said the rest of his heart looked good, so that's, that's good. But still, that's a major impact on you. And they, they put a stent in, so he has to take some time to... Make sure that's all settled. So please keep the Cutworths in prayer as well. It's been a busy week in the life of our church family. And who knows? I don't even know what's going on in your lives. So I'm going on vacation. I leave this afternoon. I'll be gone all week. I'll be putting my phone number on Facebook. In case you need me, I'm available. I'll be at Word of Life Family Campground. Okay? All right. God bless you. Have a great week.